It is good to be together in, the, in, in this sanctuary, worshiping the Lord. For those of us that are here, it is good that many of you are worshiping with us online and on the radio. We're so thankful that you're able to join us. Uh, when I ask that you would please take your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll, we'll get there here in a little bit, but uh, I got a little bit of build up before we get to that. A couple of weeks ago, we wrapped up the story of Joseph, and uh, that was before we started meeting in person. So we were all, you all were watching that online, and, and I was too. I was sitting there listening to myself preach on Sunday mornings. It's an interesting experience, I have to tell you. But we wrapped up the story of Joseph, right? And so. Uh, Israel and his children, grandchildren, they all ended up in Egypt, and 400 years pass, they grow into a mighty nation, and they become enslaved, and oppressed, and abused, and slaughtered. And then Moses comes, right? God raises up his deliverer, and through a series of devastating plagues, the Lord exposed the gods of Egypt as empty idols, and he conquered the military and political might of the greatest empire at the time. God worked through Moses, through the plagues, to deliver his people to freedom. And on that day of Exodus, God's people embarked on an amazing journey. But as with all great journeys, it came with great risk. Now, the children of Israel were celebrating as they left Egypt. It was a party, and the only burden they bore was the loot they were taking with them out of Egypt. But this didn't last long. They quickly ran into their first test of faith. The Red Sea on one side, an angry Pharaoh and his chariots on the other side. And God miraculously rescued them right through the parting of the Red Sea, and he destroyed Pharaoh's chariots. So there was more celebration, more song. But then they found themselves hungry and thirsty in the desert with no food and no water. Once again, God miraculously provided for them. He gave them water to drink. He gave them food to eat. They gave thanks to God. Everything was great again. But then they came up against hostile nations who were fearful of this unruly mass of Hebrews that were headed their way. And so once again, God fought for them and delivered the enemies into their hands. They were victorious and they celebrated some more. But then, you see a pattern here? When they reached the promised land, though they found that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, there was plenty of food, there was good water, it was lush. It also had fortified cities and superior armed forces and apparently giants were living there. At each of these challenges, what did the people of Israel do? They complained. They doubted God's goodness and power. They got angry. They even pined after the good old days in Egypt, you know, when they were slaves and were in forced labor and their children were being murdered, right? They wanted to turn around and go back to that. Now, I can't help but compare Israel's attitude at these ups and downs, this roller coaster ride of faith they were on. I can't help but to compare that to Joseph's. Because you remember, just like they were facing, Joseph faced ups and downs. 
Joseph had those moments of challenge, those moments of trial, where it seemed like everything was falling apart around him. But then God, just like he did for Israel, would come in and would give favor to Joseph and would elevate him to the highest position he could be in, would bless him immensely. And then he would have another major setback. The same thing happened with Israel that happened with Joseph. But where Israel complained and doubted, Joseph trusted. He never wavered in his faith. He never stopped having a grateful spirit. But not Israel. No, they quickly forgot God's goodness each time they faced hardship, which is why Moses had to keep reminding them, as he does in Deuteronomy 2.7, the Lord your God has blessed you. In all the works of your hands. He's watched over your journey through His vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. So Kelly, it's kind of like you were saying. You know, you you have all these blessings. You thank God for these blessings until the hard times come. And then all of a sudden, we seem to struggle with that. And just as with Israel's journey from the land of slavery to the land of promise, just as with Joseph's life journey, the path of discipleship for Christians is filled with risk. It's a risky path we walk. When Jesus promised us life abundant, life to the fullest, He didn't mean that it would be an easy life, free of danger or cost or pain. In fact, Jesus promised us the exact opposite. He said in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Following Jesus requires us to be risk-taking adventurers, willing to take leaps of faith, to scale tall mountains, to face down hungry lions, to love those who hate us and persecute us, and yes, maybe even to hug a few lepers. It's not for the faint of heart. Being a Christian is not about playing it safe. It's not about being nice and civilized. It's about dying to ourselves. No longer conforming to the patterns of this world, to this lost, sin-sick culture. We die to ourselves. We die to that. And rather, we take up our cross, which means we are being transformed from the inside out into the character of Jesus, and we follow Him wherever He leads. See, God didn't just rescue Israel from something. God was leading them to something that was far greater. He didn't just redeem them from being slaves. He was at work reforming them to be priests in the earth. We read this in Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. It says that Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you were to say to the descendants of Jacob what you were to tell to the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The same is true for us, church. In fact, Peter used this very passage and applied it to the church. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are delivered from slavery to sin and death. We are set free from the oppression of Satan, but we are also saved 
for a purpose. To be sons and daughters of the King. To be disciples who make more disciples. To be ambassadors for Christ and agents of reconciliation. Like priests, each of us as followers of Jesus Christ are called to represent Jesus to those around us and to help bring them into a relationship with Him. Like the children of Israel, though, we're all in process, right? We're all just on the journey to that promised land. We're moving from Egypt. We aren't who or what we used to be. But we're also journeying to that already present yet still to come, kingdom of God. That's what Paul was getting at in Philippians 3, our New Testament reading. Let me read a few of those verses again, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all of this. He's saying, I'm not there yet. I've not arrived yet. I've not arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the prize, the goal, the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We aren't there yet, church. We haven't arrived, but we're on the journey. And if we are to press on ahead to that promised land to which God is calling us, there are some things from Egypt that we have to forget and leave behind. The people of Israel left behind the Egyptian culture of oppression, exploitation, injustice, immorality, and idolatry. But they had some questions. Now that they were free from all of that, what was their new culture going to be like? What would be their values? Their identity had been one of enslavement and forced labor and oppression. What would their new identity be? Who were they now? See, the story of Exodus only begins with getting Israel out of Egypt. That was kind of the easy part. God used ten plagues to get Israel out of Egypt. But God gave ten commandments to help get Egypt out of Israel. That's the hard part. That's the challenge. God had to shape their new identity, had to give them a new culture, establish new values. He had to transform the way they spoke, the way they thought, the way they worked and lived and treated each other so they would no longer conform to the ways of Egypt. I mean, think about 400 years they had lived in Egypt. You don't live anywhere 400 years and not pick up a few bad habits, right? Changing who they were, their thought processes, their culture. This was monumental. They were a free people now, but, and freedom is a wonderful thing. But here's the problem with freedom. It has to be preserved, doesn't it? After only six weeks from crossing the Red Sea, they were already longing to go back to Egypt. They're ready to throw in the towel and quit just six weeks out. We read that first in Exodus chapter 16. Listen to these three verses right here. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. 
In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And here they are in the wilderness, and, and they're complaining and wishing they had just died in Egypt, longing for pots of meat. I don't know if that's like spam. I don't know, you know, Vienna sausages, meat in a can. That's what they're longing for, right? But then again, much later on, on the eve of entering the promised land, after they had heard the reports from those ten spies that came back and said, oh yeah, it's a great place if you can get past the fortified cities and the armies with superior technology. Oh, and the giants. If you can get past them, yeah, it's great. So on the, as they heard this report, listen in Numbers 14, what, what happens. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt... Or in this desert. So do you one better? We, at least, you know, if we just died in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, before we give the Israelites too much grief, maybe we need to take a long look in the mirror. Because aren't we just as bad? Don't we tend to glamorize the past sometimes? Don't we tend to drift back to our old ways and habits? I mean, yeah, there's something comforting. There's something appealing about the familiar. Even if it's awful and destructive, even if it's slavery or an addiction or dependence on the government or a destructive relationship or old hatred, bitterness or prejudice or a false belief system, there's something in our fallen human nature that longs to go back to what's familiar, even if it's awful. Which is why Paul had to remind the early Christians in Galatia, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand Firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What a weird thing to have to tell free people to do. But that's our tendency. In Galatians 4 9, Paul asks, How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Freedom must be preserved. Not just against those outside forces that would take it away from us. It must be preserved from ourselves. From our willingness to give up freedom so easily for the sake of comfort, convenience, pleasure, so-called security. But we also have to remember that freedom does come with some responsibility. Five times in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses told the people to remember that they were slaves in Egypt. And the reason they were to remember they were slaves in Egypt was so that they would be reminded of their responsibility. Listen in Deuteronomy 5.15. He says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because you remember that, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So he's saying that you should observe the Sabbath day because you remember a day when you couldn't, when you were slaves. 
And you work 24-7 for Egypt. And then he says again in Deuteronomy 15, 15, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Paul likewise reminds us as followers of Jesus of the responsibility that comes with our freedom in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Now, I'm going to bring this all down from the 30,000-foot view. and let's, let's get down onto the view on the ground. Let's bring this home. Let's make this personal and specific to right here and right now, to this time of of crisis we're in with the COVID-19 virus, right? I've heard from so many of our people and from from other friends and family over the past few months of the good things that God has done, of the good things the Lord has brought to bear through this time of crisis, this lockdown, this pandemic. Certainly, thinking about Joseph, certainly we've been in one of those bottom-of-a-dry-pit kind of moments. It's 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 been a down part of that roller coaster ride for sure. But as with Joseph, God has been working through all of this for His glory, for our good, for the furthering of the gospel. I want to share with you some testimonies of what God has been doing, specifically what He has been teaching us. And I want to begin with a few video testimonies. We'll go ahead and play that, Micah. Hi, y'all. Just wanted to tell you what being quarantined has meant to our family during this time. Um, Little did we know in March particularly 15th, that we would not be going back to school and we were stuck at home. But during that time, we have learned that I can cook besides in a crock pot, that I can live with an almost 22-year-old and almost 16-year-old and nobody has gotten hurt yet. But we've also come together as a family and learned that communication is very important and very vital to success of the family tree when you're all stuck in one big house together. So that's what we have learned as the Osborne family. In this quarantine time, what, with us being home and being able to be with our family has been such a blessing. I know a lot of you have said that. I know it has been for my children. Sometimes it's difficult because you got them all the time. But um, it has been a blessing to be able to be with them and help them and guide them a little bit more and having them more in God's Word and sharing God's, what God wants me to be doing with them. So I would like to cover again, I'm sure some of these already has, has covered this, Philippians 4.6 is really important right now. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I just wanted to come on and share my quarantine experience. Um, I know that it wasn't ideal in any way for businesses and works to be shut down, but I know that if you're like me, it gave you time to just step back and examine what you have in your life, where your time is going, how you're spending it, and I realized that I never really had a set time for a devotion throughout my day. I had long days, and there was practice, and I just never seemed to fit it in, but quarantine has given me just this new vision of, okay, this is what's going to be in my life. I need to prioritize this. And I feel like quarantine has been the perfect time for me to learn how to prioritize things like reading God's Word and just being outside in His creation. And it has made me all the more thankful. Um, I'm just thankful for my family's health and for all that God has given us. Here's what I've learned. 
over these last couple of months. That's how much I enjoy spending time with my kids. I've gotten to do a lot more of it than before, and it's been special. And I've talked with parents who, your kids have grown up and they've, they've moved on, they moved out, and you say, don't take for granted the time that you have with them. And, and I'm sure going to try not to now that I've been reminded of, of how great it is. And so for you parents who are, who are spending maybe a little too much time with your kids right now, they're not going to be there forever. And I'm, I'm grateful that I've had this time. Hi. I'd like to share some things that God has done in my life the past few months. One of those things is he's given me a new perspective on some things. Some things I've often taken for granted include going to church and seeing friends. I've always been able to see my friends anytime I wanted, and I thought nothing of it. Now that this pandemic has taken that privilege away from me, I realize how important seeing friends face-to-face really is. Another blessing that I've often taken for granted is being at church. Going to church has been just a normal weekly occurrence until now. Now I know how much going to church impacts my spiritual relationship with Christ my Lord. He's taught me to not take these huge blessings lightly. I had others who submitted some written testimonies. Uh, People talked about the importance of they've learned to slow down. Uh, We've been able to appreciate family time, living life at a slower pace. We don't need to live our lives at such a hustle and bustle rate. Slower pace to appreciate what's truly important has been a blessing. People talked about being still and silent, learning to be still and wait on the Lord and listen to His voice in the quietness. Sally Adams said, enjoy all the moments. Take more time to talk to God. He ultimately is the one with the plan. While it's helpful to seek the advice of others, He will guide you when you slow down and take the time to listen. Ralph Starling talked about trusting God. He said, I've learned to put it in God's hands. And someone else said, it's taught me how inept I am without Him. Several mentioned farming and gardening and and doing other things to be more self-sufficient. Gratitude was a common sentiment. Uh, Was homeschooling rough? Yes. Three kids, all with different learning paths, all with different drives. But most of all, an understanding as to what the teachers see when they are trying to reach my children. People said, more appreciation for our jobs. Someone said, missing church makes us more grateful for God's people. Somebody said they were grateful for family because you never know when you might lose someone. James Bridges said, we've learned to communicate differently. There's more than one way to go into all the world to preach the gospel. He said, I for one have realized that a new direction of spreading the gospel other than just in a brick and mortar building is possible. He said, I'm optimistic that not only will we come back together soon, but be stronger for the experience. Just a few thoughts from an old man with time on his hands. Thank you, James, for those thoughts. Maggie said uh, that more is not always better. It's crazy how much more enjoyable our everyday tasks and responsibilities are when we're not rushed or exhausted. God doesn't need me to dream up big things and just try harder or do more for Him to be pleased. He desires obedience and faithfulness with whatever He's already given. I almost never choose to slow down on my own, but this has left us with no choice, and I'm thankful. Kathy Hendricks said, I feel that God has used this time to put all of us in time out so we can reflect on what's really important. We get too hung up in our priorities that we put Him at the end of the line. Ellen McGuire said, Family time, learning, patience. With all three of these, our family made life choices that are healthy, fun, and educational. We learned that being stuck in our home together was so much more than a blessing. We've laughed, cried, yelled some. 
that we've loved more than any of the above. I think the most important part that we all take away from this time is it doesn't cost anything extra to love someone more, show a little extra support to a stranger, and for goodness sake, wash your hands. And then someone else said, he taught me that it's all good, he's in control. I remember walking by the lake here and noticing so many families with their kids, walking, riding bikes, picnicking. God is in control, and he works it out for our good. So take just a brief moment and think about your life before all of this. Before the pandemic, before the crisis that we have been in, what seemed so important to you then that you now realize really it wasn't all that essential? Times of crisis have a way of sharpening our focus and bringing to the forefront those things that truly matter and everything else falls by the wayside. And that was what Israel was learning as they were coming out of Egypt, moving to the promised land. But they had to resist that urge to return to the old ways. They needed to be delivered. God has delivered us from sin. He has set us free from the value systems of this world, and He doesn't want us to return to the old ways. My fear is that all these things we've learned from these past few months, we're just going to quickly forget when life gradually returns to normal. Whatever that normal looks like, I mean, what is normal? Is normal being overtaxed and so busy that we have little margin in our lives to slow down and help someone? Is normal the inability to be still and know that He is God? To be so busy we can't have meals with our families around the table or spend time with the Lord in the morning or play in the yard with our kids in the evening? Is that normal? Is it normal to live life at such breakneck speeds that we have to get out of town for a weekend in order to slow down? Is it normal to live under such crushing debt so that we can give things to our kids that we think they need to have? Is it normal to compare our lives to the lives of others, you know, those sanitized versions of their lives they put on Facebook? Is that normal? That's not the normal I want to return to. Do you? I hope not. So I hope that God will use this situation to give us a hard reset, to show us that all the things we thought were so important that we had to be involved in, that we had to have, really aren't, that those are the things that pagans run after. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to pursue His kingdom and His righteousness and trust that He's going to give us all the things that we need. So how can we, real quick, how can we forget what is behind and press on toward that goal that is ahead? Let's look at Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 and just look at a few things that Moses said right here. The first thing he said is it's not too difficult. It's not too difficult to leave Egypt behind and press on to the promised land. He said, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we can obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. We have the answer right here to how we forget Egypt and live into the promised land that God is calling us to. It's in His Word. It's not too difficult. God has not made this hard. Secondly, Moses said the choice is ours to make. Look at verses 15 through 18. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, in other words, if you go back to Egypt, 
I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. It's not too difficult, and the choice is ours to make. We can choose whether we're going to go back to Egypt or whether we're going to press on toward the kingdom of God. And the third thing that he said is that the way of life is the way of obedience. Look at these last two verses. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Here's the key. The way of life. If we're going to choose life, it means that we are going to love the Lord our God, listen to His voice, And hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life. And He will give you many years in the land He swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus wants our love. Not just our lip service. He wants a genuine relationship with Him. And 1 John 5, 3 says that the way we love God is to obey His commands. Just as Moses put this decision before the people of Israel... Jesus puts this decision before us when he calls us to follow him. So how do we choose the way of life? How do we reject Egypt and choose the kingdom of God? When that happens, as we leave Egypt behind, as we leave behind the normalcy of our world, as we live into the ways of Jesus, three things are going to happen. First, God is going to circumcise our hearts. In Deuteronomy 36, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts so you may love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. God will cut out the ways of Egypt from our heart. Our hearts will begin to change. We will love and desire the things that God loves and desires, not the things the world tells us we should love and desire, not what the commercials and the advertisements tell us to love and desire. Secondly, He'll renew our minds. Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds will begin to think truthful thoughts in accordance with God's Word. And finally, He will transform our character. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned, When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. As we leave behind the quote-unquote normalcy of a lost and sin-sick culture, as we begin to put on the very character of Christ, it's like you're taking off clothes that don't fit you anymore. Anybody have any clothes in their closet that doesn't fit them anymore? It's like you take those off, you put them aside, and you put on this new wardrobe of Christ that fits the person He is turning you into. Paul calls it being transformed into the image of Christ. Here's a simple check for where we stand with God this morning. Is following God a burden for you? Have you heard His voice lately? Have you even been listening to Him? Because if you're fully in love with Jesus, if you're following Jesus with joy, then you're going to live a life of love. It's going to be delightful. It's not going to be a burden for you. That's what Jesus is inviting all of us to today. 
whether you're here in person or watching online or listening on the radio, Jesus is inviting you to follow Him, to embrace His truth, His way, His life. He has set the choice before us. Life and blessing, or death and curses. I pray you would choose life, that you may live. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for Your Word. Your Word is truth. We're thankful for the challenge that it gives to us today. Whether we are followers of Jesus and we've been walking with You for a long time, whether we are new disciples and we're still learning and figuring this all out, we all feel that pull back to Egypt. God, as we come through this time of pandemic and as we have all been forced to look deep inside of ourselves, as You have taught us so many things about the way life could be and should be, God, help us to resist that pull. Help us to follow You more every day. And if there's anybody who's watching, who's listening, who's here this morning, that has never been delivered from that slavery to sin, who is still in Egypt, God, I pray that You would convict their heart and bring them right now to a saving relationship with You. That they would turn from sin. They would confess it to You and trust in what You did, Jesus, on the cross to bring them forgiveness and life everlasting, to set them free once and for all. May Your Spirit lead and move today in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever God is working in your life, however you need to respond, I invite you to come and respond right now, either here in person, if you are online or on the radio, please feel free to reach out to us this week and let us know of your decision.